Behold Our Creator God is the title of today's sermon. The God of the Bible put His glory on display in all of creation and in Holy Scripture as our Holy Creator God. There is nothing like Genesis. There is nothing like God's historic account of His creative act in all the literature of mankind. It stands distinct. It stands alone as God's historic record of His creative work. It does not read like the myths of man. God's Word is the history of God's work from Genesis 1-1 to the final page and final jot. And so behold our Creator God. Last time we jumped right on the bus, the Bible bus, and we began to go from chapter to chapter, verse to verse, and I failed to introduce you to the bus driver. I'm not the bus driver. I'm just the tour guide. I'm just the, the lackey who gets on and off the bus when the bus driver says, and I point out the stuff that the bus driver himself has created, that the bus driver himself has declared. The bus driver is the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the preeminent person of the Godhead who is our Creator, Jesus the Christ, our Creator. And so let me introduce you to the bus driver and the bus driver's position on Holy Scripture. Again, this should be very familiar to you, but John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them, the body of Christ, His immediate disciples and all disciples that would follow. Sanctify them by your truth. The Son praying to the Father. Do you think that prayer is going to come to pass? I do. Sanctify them by your truth. What truth? Thy word, your word is truth. The word of God is truth, dear saints. And without it, you have no truth. You have no path to truth. You only have intellectual anarchy, chaos. God is truth. And all that he says is truth. And Jesus declares the word of God to be truth. In particular, in Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word, that's plenary, plenary inspiration, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word, every single word is truth. Every single word is truth worthy of eating, taking into your being that you might live upon it. Every word, says Jesus. In Matthew 5.18, the Lord Jesus said, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will by no means pass from the law, the law, till all is fulfilled. And we typically think of the moral law, we rightly think of the moral law, but when Jesus says the law, the moral law is contained in the law, the books of Moses. And the books of Moses start with Genesis. And Genesis starts with Genesis 1 and 2, God's creation account. And the moral law of God rests upon 
Genesis 1 and 2. God, our Creator, our Holy Creator, gave us His Holy Law. And when we yank Genesis 1 and 2 out of the Bible, we really yank the foundation of God's moral law, which is a tutor to bring men to Christ to be justified by faith, out of the Bible. And then we really yank the context of the Gospel. What are we to be saved from? We're to be saved from the due penalty of sin called hell, because God is a just judge. He sends sinners, those who what? Those who contradict or disobey His law, those that defy His very nature as well as His commands. He sins as a just judge to everlasting judgment. And so the Lord Jesus says, nothing, not one jot or tittle, not one portion of one letter will pass from the law of God. Jesus in John 5, 24, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Do you hear Jesus' words? Do you believe in him who sent him? If you do, you have everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. Where did Jesus' words start, by the way? Where does the red ink start? Genesis 1, 1. Where does it end? Revelation 22. It's all the word of Jesus, for Jesus is one with the Father and one with the Spirit. Oh yes, the Spirit inspired the inscripturated text, but Jesus is one with the Spirit. And it's Jesus in the New Testament who said to the, that He's going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to remind us of things we've already been taught and teach us things we're not yet ready for. The Lord Jesus ultimately sent the Spirit of God to inscripturate the New Testament, even as the Holy Spirit inscripturated the Old Testament, inspired theonoustos, God-breathed, the inerrant word that He has preserved, because not one jot or tittle will pass away. In John 5, 46, the Lord Jesus says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. And we have a generation of Christians that think you can believe Jesus, but not Moses. The Lord Jesus says, if you believe Moses, you would believe me. And the first strike against your belief, the first blow against your belief, against your faith, your biblical faith, comes when you disbelieve Moses. And from there, it's just a matter of time. If you continue consistently down that path, having disbelieved Moses, eventually you'll arrive at disbelieving Jesus. And so we believe God from the very first verse. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The Lord Jesus believed the Bible from the very first verse. Why did Jesus, let me ask, why did the Lord Jesus believe in a literal Genesis? Why did he believe in every jot and tittle? Why did he believe that none of it had passed away? Why did he believe that it was essential to believe the law, to believe Moses, to believe Genesis? Because he knew the veracity of the text? Because he knew what Moses wrote down was true? Because he, he heard from good sources that this was the reality of what took place at creation? Was it mere hearsay for Jesus? No, it's because Jesus is the Creator God of Genesis 1.1. Jesus is God, the Creator. As John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And so Jesus comes with divine authority from experience, saying, 
this is the truth that you need to receive. Saying that I am the truth you need to receive. I am the way and the truth and the life, says Jesus. And saying that all of God's word is truth. And that we're to be sanctified, according to Jesus' prayer, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so that's my prayer for you. In all of God's truth, but certainly in this point of truth, where atheism has invaded Christ's church with its naturalistic philosophies and its pseudoscience called Big Bang Cosmology and its pseudoscience called evolution and stripped Christians from believing God, robbed from them, stolen from them, the first chapters of their Bible, the books of Moses, the foundation of all of God's Word, the foundation of God's revelation of Himself as our holy Creator God. Behold our Creator God. So the Lord Jesus upholds the veracity of Holy Scripture from beginning to end. And we must do the same. If Jesus is our Lord, if we bent our knee to Christ as King, then we receive His testimony as King. Don't let the naturalist rule over you. Don't let the atheistic worldview rule over you. Don't let the the naturalistic worldview in the form of glasses get placed on your face to where you look around at God's creation and you don't see the glory of your Creator. You see eons of time. You see the effect of chance. Worse yet, you see the effect of millions of years of death. Death becomes the agent of life rather than God who is life being the agent of life, the the prime mover, the creator of all life. Okay, we're getting on the bus. Now we've already had part of the tour, so we're going to run through the first part of the tour. We're just going to kind of get on the bus. We'll drive by. It'll just kind of slow down a little bit. We won't get off. If you get off, you might get left behind. So, so don't get off. We're just going to roll on by, do a slow roll by some of these biblical stops until we get to Job. But if you weren't with us last time, I encourage you to go back and listen to the last message um, and go back and review these scriptures. The first stop on the Bible bus to behold our Creator God is, of course, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And last time we said what glory that God invites us to view His creative act, that God would invite us to behold His glory in what He did, that God would reveal to us what He did in creation. And His account of His creation is history, and it's a unique history. It's contrary to the laws that He would set up to govern the rest of the history of His creation. We'll get into that when we begin to unpack the days. But we have, um, we have plants before we have a sun to provide the necessary light to those plants. How does that work? Uh, the scientists say, well, it works just fine when you have God sustaining those plants through the light that is Himself, for He is light, just as He will be the light in the new heavens and new earth in which is to come. But the bus is rolling here. We're not stopping. So Genesis 1.1 is where we begin, of course. But Genesis 1.21, So God created the great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was very good. So God created all the creatures of the sea and all the living things that move and the waters abound with life. 
And he did so at the beginning. It was all good, mind you. And remember, if death is the agent of creation, if death is the agent of life, death is not good. Death and suffering and struggle is not good. In fact, that's even some of the evolutionists, some of the atheists cries against God as they look out on what they believe to be true, mankind's origin through evolution, what they believe to be true. And they say, look, if there's a God and he allowed that, how good is he? If he allowed all that death and suffering, disease for millions of years before Jesus ever shows up a few thousand years ago, how good is that God? Oh, don't try to drag the dead carcass of naturalism into Christ's church. There's only death there. And don't insert it into God's Word. There's only death there. Death of truth and death of faith, ultimately, as you follow that thinking all the way into the New Testament. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, the pinnacle of creation, a special creation on the sixth day. And again, we will unpack these in detail in the days ahead. But man is the pinnacle of of creation in the image of God according to the likeness of God verse 27 God created man in his own image in the image of God he created a male and female he created them from the very beginning on day six along with the beasts of the earth God created male and female man and woman not single-celled organisms but fully formed man and woman Adam and Eve woe man Eve taken from his side right Mother of all living, literal Adam, literal Eve, in the Garden of Eden with God. The truth of God's historic work in creation. When were single-celled organisms created? At the same time, they did not evolve and become more complex organisms of another kind. The funny thing is, within God's creative act, He said at every juncture, at every point, every time He created a kind, He said that they'll procreate, they will procreate after their kind. He set the limits. Now within kind, there is speciation. Within kind, there is a genetic left and right that they can alter to and fro within in order that the kind might survive. And yet, you never, ever, 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 ever will see or have seen one kind change into another. Oh yes, Darwin observed many varieties of finches. And you can observe many varieties of dogs and many mutations of cats. Notice the difference. But they're still cats. They're still dogs. They're still their kind. You can see much variation in the dinosaurs, but they're dinosaurs. They did not become, as despite what you'll see at OMSI if you go there, various museums ruled by the myth of naturalism and evolution. They did not become birds. The scales did not slowly evolve into feathers, and the bones did not slowly thin out, and on and on it goes. Everything procreates after its kind. An actual observation of all that we see in this world is in agreement with the Word of God. Whether we're looking at the genome or whether we're looking at rocks, whether we're looking at the fossils in the rocks, or whether we're looking at living, living kinds walking the earth right now.
And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. Have dominion over it, over all the critters, over all the earth. We have dominion over it. We're in the image of God. We're above it. We're not glorified apes. We're the pinnacle of life, created in the image of God. We are to be good stewards of life, but by all means eat meat. We are not animals. We're created in the image of God. We are creatures like the animals. We are creatures created by the Creator. And there's a great divide between us and the Creator. So we have that in kind with the animals, but we're not glorified animals. So the Bible bus is rolling. Genesis chapter 2, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. You either believe God or you don't. You either believe God or you don't. And I counsel you, believe God. Let God be true and every man a liar. Don't believe the myths of man. And Darwinian evolution is just another one of those myths. Genesis 2, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. They were finished. God's creative act was finished. There is no new life. There is variation within the kind, but there's nothing new. There's nothing new. It's finished. And on the seventh day, God ended His work which He had done, and He rested the seventh day from all the work which He had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. God's strength does not fail. He was not tired. He rested as a pattern for us that we might have a seven-day week. Why did God take six days and not six hours? Why did God take six days and not six minutes? Why did God take six days and not six seconds? Why did God take six days and not six nanoseconds? So that He might set up a week for us for all time. And that week ultimately points back to His creative glory. Consider that every week. It all points back to His creative glory. Day one, day and night, day two, sky and water, day three, on and on. Every week. We have that seven-day week from God established. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, it says, This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Again, you either believe God or you do not. Genesis 2, 4, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. The bus is rolling. Genesis 5, verse 1, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. The literal Adam, literal genealogy of Adam, literal descendants of Adam. In the day that God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. What we find in Genesis 5 and all the way to the end of the book is the glory of our Creator God. The entire Bible gives testimony to the truthfulness, to the veracity of Genesis 1 and 2. The entirety of God's Word is built on the veracity of the first chapters of the book. You cannot decide the first chapters are myth, they're analogy, and not make the entirety that follows myth. You mythologize the entirety of God's Word when you mythologize the foundation of God's Word in Genesis 1 and 2. And those professing Christians who claim, no, 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 like Hugh Ross, no, it's, it's old earth creation. God used evolution. He used millions of years. And then at some point, He, he breathed His Spirit his, his pneuma in, into these ape-like creatures and they became man. And they began to shave and all that. No, that's, that's nonsense. And it assaults the rest of Scripture. It assaults the deity of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ clearly lifts up the Genesis account. In Genesis chapter 
6, verse 5, it says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. Continually, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. The Creator is sorry that he made man, and he's going to hold him accountable. Verse 7, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. The Creator has the right to destroy his creature. And he did in a worldwide global flood, which those who deny a literal genesis invariably deny a literal worldwide global flood as well. When will they start to believe God? When will they? Typically, in Genesis chapter 12, they decide to believe God. They reject the first 11 chapters of God's Word as literal, historical, accurate history. But what did God say? This is the history. That's what it says. This is the history of God's creative act. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Bible bus rolling, verse 32, it says, For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth. Since the day that God created man on the earth. Deuteronomy 4.32 uplifts the day that God created man on the earth. What day was that? Day 6. Day 6. What was his name? Adam. What was the woman's name? Eve. This is a highly complex system. A man and a woman fully grown. What came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken. What came first? A baby? A single-celled organism? No, a man. What came alongside man? Well, dinosaurs and oxen and single-celled organisms all created in one vast Glorious work. Last time we left off at the end of Job. We looked at Job 40 and 41 and 42. I'm not going to go there again, but I I encourage you, go back to Job. Go to Job regularly. It always puts your issues into perspective. And it always ends gloriously. It always ends with man being put in his place. Who are you, oh man? Will you talk back to me? Will you contend with me? Were you there when I made the stars? Did you, did you check out Behemoth and Leviathan? I double-dog dare you to put a hand on Leviathan. Go ahead. You'll never do it again. Would you challenge me, the creator of Leviathan, if you won't even touch him? Would you? And we know how Job at last responds, Woe is me. I put my hand over my mouth. I answered once. I don't do it again. I'm not going to do it. No. He ends worshiping and he ends blessed. Blessed immeasurably, having grown in greater faith and in righteousness through this experience that God sovereignly ordained for his life. But where does all that end? What puts Job's sufferings into context? The glory of God the Creator. God calls him to look at his manifest power in creation, from the stars to the behemoth to the Leviathan to something that appears to be a dragon. And Job is humbled, duly humbled. Again, if, if you want to be humbled, if you have a problem with humility and you want to put your problems in perspective, just go down to the local zoo, climb into the lion cage and poke the lion until he roars at you. And suddenly all your other problems will be put into perspective. <laughs> Even outside that cage, when that lion roars, you get a taste of what it is to put a hand on Leviathan. And you would not dare, if you're sane, climb the wall and put a hand on that lion. And remember that it's God who created that lion. And it's Jesus who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And his roar far exceeds the roar of that great cat 
the Bible bus is going to park at Psalm 104. Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great. And let me say that when we assault Genesis 1 and 2, when we assault the historic account of God's glorious creative act, we assault the greatness of God. We assault the greatness of His revelation of Himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. Who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. Not a big bang, dear saints. A big, omnipotent, all-wise, all-powerful God stretched out the heavens like a curtain in an instant. In an instant, saints. There are recent scientific discoveries, and they can't be overly dogmatic, but they are questioning the speed of light now. Both secular and Christian scientists questioning the speed of light and suggesting that they have recorded light actually slowing down. Which means as they calculate backwards, the rate at which it is slowing down would mean that when it was created, it was nearly instantaneous. Meaning this cosmos where we say, wow, you know, how could the light travel so far? And people have postulated various answers to that, that God created the universe you know, with age, just like he created Adam and Eve. And you know, he didn't create seeds, he created trees, and they would appear to be older than they actually were, and so on and so forth. He didn't create eagles and eggs, he created eagles. But this makes a lot of sense, that all things are winding down. Entropy, the fall, is affecting all things, including the speed of light. Regardless, it is God who stretched out the heavens like a curtain. He lays the beams in his upper chambers in the waters, who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks in the wings of the wind, who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. You who laid the foundations of the earth. So verse 2, he stretched out the heavens like a curtain. Verse 5, you who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains at your rebuke they fled. At the voice of your thunder they hastened away. They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place which you founded for them. You have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. So the Lord created the cosmos. He created the earth. And He sustains His creation. And he sustains certain details within His creation, like the boundaries of the waters that they may not cover the earth. And that's what the rainbow reminds you of, that the waters will not again cover the earth. The Lord will not again wipe out everything which has the breath of life in its lungs through water. Verse 13, he waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. 14, he causes the grass to grow for the cattle, the vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth. Skip down to verse 19. He appointed the moon for seasons, and the sun knows it's going down. And some atheists like to mock that. Yeah, the sun goes down. Ha, ha, ha. Do the same atheists mock the local weatherman who every day says, sun set, such and such a time, sun down. This is not a scientific statement. It's an observational statement. It's common speech. 
The Bible also talks about people falling asleep who clearly were dead, right? Just like we do more in the South and the Midwest, I've found. We call it a wake. But I've been to some wakes, and they tend to be a lot like funerals. No one ever actually wakes up. They're dead. It's common terminology. But he appointed the moon for its seasons, and the sun knows it's going down, all according to God's good design. You make darkness, and it's night in which all the beasts of the forest creep about, and the young lions roar after their prey, and they seek food from God. All of Psalm 104 is a psalm declaring and praising our holy Creator God. Verse 22, When the sun rises, they gather together and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to do his work and to his labor until evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom you have made them all. See, the psalmist has biblical glasses on. He has Genesis 1 and 2 glasses on. He doesn't have naturalism's glasses on, atheism's glasses, Big Bang cosmology's glasses, evolution's glasses. He has Genesis glasses on. So when he looks out at everything, he sees the handiwork of God. And he's compelled to magnify Him, to praise Him. Verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are Your works! In wisdom You have made them all. Do you know what you see everywhere you look? You see wisdom. You see wisdom. You do see the hand of God, all-powerful and all-wise. Everywhere you look. You don't see accident. I mean... That truly would be astonishing. Accident, 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 accident. Look at all these accidents. These glorious accidents looking so designed. Looking so beautiful. This amazing beauty. The complexity of design. Beyond any accident. Beyond any chance. No matter how much time you add to your chance, you don't get what you see. You don't get this cosmos and life in it. It's the God of the Bible that you see. You see His glory, His handiwork. O Lord, how manifold are Your works in wisdom. You have made them all. The earth is full of Your possessions. He possesses it all. He's the creator of it all. He possesses it. This great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things, living things, both small and great, there the ships sail about. There is that Leviathan. Oh no, he got out of Job which you have made to play there. God made Leviathan to play there. You ever see the polar bears play? They play. And it's a fun game as long as there's three inches of glass between you and them. The polar bears look like so much fun as they play with their ball in there. They look like a lot of fun out in the wild when they play with those seals. Now, I know the earth firsters' hearts break when they see the polar bears play with seals. Um, But it's part of God's design, at least since the fall, that those polar bears feed on those seals By the way, the seals eat fish, right? Uh, But the seals are so cute with those sad eyes, right? Yes, but they play like Leviathan. There is that Leviathan which you have made to play there. These all wait for you that you may give them their food in due season. The ecosystem that God has designed is so amazingly complex. There's so much interdependence. You start to strip one thing away. And you can't even calculate. I mean, we can understand some of the effects, but you strip one thing away and the effects that it has in the whole system. The idea that this came one little portion at a time over millions of years is a complete and utter fiction. The idea that simple single-celled organisms came 
spontaneously out of a material universe is a complete fiction, but they're not simple. All of those so-called simple, within one single so-called simple-celled organism, they're interdependent biochemical machines that had to come into existence simultaneously at the same time. And then within each each independent biochemical machine, there are interdependent parts that had to come into creation at the same time. Because unless it's a whole, it's of no use. And so it's complexity upon complexity upon complexity. It's not just that there are a few seemingly interdependent things that we can imagine our way around. You see, this is how that might have evolved. No, there are infinite number of interdependent things on every level. It is just amazing to behold. God's wisdom. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. Again, verse 24. Verse 29. You hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. Hear me, saints. When you as a professing Christian embrace naturalism, embrace Big Bang cosmology, embrace Darwinian evolution, your meditations are not sweet to God. They are atheistic meditations. They are rebel meditations. They are the meditations of unbelief, of blasphemy. Blaspheming God's true word, his history of his acts. May my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. May sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, our holy creator, God. The entirety of Psalm 104 is centered around God, our creator. One more psalm, and then we'll move on from the psalms. Psalm 148, and we'll skip through it briefly, but the Bible bus parking at Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you stars of light. Praise Him, you heaven of heavens. You waters above the heavens, let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. Where did everything come from? Everything. He commanded, they were created. Divine fiat. God spoke and they were. Day one, day two, day three, all the way to day six. God spoke and it was created and then God's creative act was done. It was done and he rested on the seventh day. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. When you assault Genesis 1 and 2, when you assault God's history of his creative act, you aren't able to embrace Psalm 148.5. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. No, no, no. He got the ball rolling, kind of, sort of, maybe. You know, I guess He let the wick and it went bang. And then He sat back and had an iced tea or something for billions of years. Billions of years. I don't know, 10, give or take, since they say it's 14 point something, 15. Some say as old as 20, but... 
a good 10 billion years he sat back until the earth was created, right? And then it was created and he still had to sit around for billions of years. As they say, human beings have only been around for a few million years. And then finally, after human beings stopped scratching in the dirt, digging up grubs and grunting, he breathed his spirit into them and actually declared them human beings. And then he finally, a few thousand years ago, sends his son, Jesus Christ. That is a denial of God's clear word, God's clear history. So let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all the depths, fire and hail and snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling His word. It's all subject to Him. It's all fulfilling His word. Mountains and all the hills, fruitful trees and all the cedars, beasts and cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all the peoples, princes and all the judges of the earth. Both young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord for His name alone is exalted. Let them praise the name of their Creator. His glory is above all the earth and heaven. Psalm 148, 1-13. Isaiah 40, 12 through 28. Isaiah 40, verses 12 through 28. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in balance? And I have to tell you, as, as I read Psalm 40, verse 12, who has measured the water in the hollow of his hands, I start thinking about how much salt there is in the ocean. And how it speaks to a young earth. Who has measured heaven with a span? I start thinking the expanse of the heavens and the speed of light and what God has done there and the glories that are manifest in the heavens and our perfect placement in the heavens. Who has calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? Who has calculated the the dust, the circumference, the weight, the mass of the earth, but the actual dust? And then I start thinking about the dust that falls to the earth and the meteorites that fall to the earth and the dust that falls on the moon and how all of that, rightly understood, points to a very young earth, a very young cosmos. For instance, meteors are not found all throughout the strata of the earth. They're found pretty much globally right at the surface level and that alone. And we know the basic rate of meteor showers and how many meteors fall to the earth. And so they should be, as we would calculate, according to naturalism, according to uniformitarianism, they should be laid down throughout the strata. And you would think that in an older, more ancient earth, right, a younger solar system, there'd be more of these showers, and thus the strata would be thicker with these rocks, and yet that's not the case at all. They're found all over the earth on the surface as if there's a very young earth. God's creation is in agreement with God's word unless we put on the eyeglasses of evolution that demand immense amounts of time in order for life to slowly evolve. Who has measured the waters of the hollow of his hand, measured the heaven with a span, calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales? And I I think of the scientific estimates that about 14 million years is all it would take to flatten the mountains of the entire planet and to bring all the continents down to sea level. According to our current erosion rates, 14 million years, which isn't, you know, that doesn't begin to be a drop in the bucket 
of the amount of time that evolution would require. Weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in balance. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? And then I think of understanding. I, I think of our available knowledge, all that we would call knowledge and how little we understand. I, I think of the recent boasts about how we've mapped the genome. And then really, as time tells, we find out, well, we've begun to scratch the surface a little bit. And we don't understand nearly as much as we first understood. But what was like the very first thing they did when they mapped the genome? What was like the very first thing they did? They declared us to be brothers with apes. Because they have motive in all of this. They have motive. And that is just as much a fiction as Lucy being your ancestor is a fiction. For the sake of time, skip down to verse 21, Isaiah forty twenty-one. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain who spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Have you not known? Have you not heard? God is putting us in our place as if we we should know and we should have heard, but we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Did God not reveal Himself from the beginning? He did. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. And that revelation of God was handed down to man through godly Seth on down. Verse 22, It is He who sits above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He rules over His creation. Circle of the earth. The idea of atheists mocking Christians as flat earthers. Now, there are some professing Christians currently and historically that are flat earthers, but it has nothing to do with the testimony of Scripture. Long before scientists declared the earth to be round, the Scriptures declared the circle of the earth. A good biblicist would have caught that. Skip down to verse 25. To whom then will you liken me, says God? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One, our Holy Creator God? Who will you liken me to? And and that's where I think of all the myths that I've been reading, all these cosmological myths, these myths of the various religions of man. They're nothing like God's historic account. Nothing. Their gods are nothing like the one true God, and their cosmologies are nothing like the one true cosmology given in Genesis. Nothing. They are so obviously myths. And the Word of God is so obviously true, unless you have a bent against it. If you have bent your knee previously to naturalism, atheism, and their pseudosciences, then you can't bend your knee to the God of Genesis. Because you have another God. To whom will you liken me, or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of His might, and the strength of His power. It's beyond comprehension, the wisdom of God, to know the stars and to name them all. Notice he didn't call on Adam to name the stars, just the critters, right? It wasn't within Adam's capacity to name the billions upon billions upon billions of stars. But it's within God's capacity. It's amazing. 
who brings out their host by number and he calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over my God? Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. It's glorious. It's glorious, saints. This is our holy creator, God. And we stand in awe before him and bend our Knee. Isaiah 45, verse 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited, I am the Lord and there is no other. That's one of my favorite verses. In the Bible, this is your God. Thus says the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens. Who is your God? Who is your Jehovah? Who is your Yahweh? He's the God. He's the, he's the Yahweh who created the heavens. Who is God? Who formed the earth and made it. I mean, this is like an airtight declaration, right? He formed it. He made it. Who has established it. He was active in all of it. He formed it. He made it. He has established it. He did not create it in vain, but He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. This is our God. This is the God we worship, the God we bow before, the God we praise and honor. This is our King. In your bulletin, on the inside, there's an article from Answers in Genesis. Evolution, impossible. We're sure you've heard this claim before, probably hundreds of times. Science has proven evolution is fact. It's like a strange Darwinian chant that emanates from atheist blogs in secular universities. Too bad for them, it's not true. It's simply not true. But if you say a lie often enough, it becomes truth. People are utterly convinced of its truth. And not just secularists, not just atheists, not just nominal Christians. You know, they don't attend church. They don't read the Bible. But this has come into Christ's church. And we need to put it back out. In fact, refuting evolution doesn't require complicated equations or lab experiments, though those do the job too. Just remember the two fundamental flaws we can use to show evolution to be, well, not even scientifically viable. Where did you get your information? Information theory. And what is information theory? It's a solid scientific theory that there is no law of nature, process, or series of events by which information originates in matter. All information leads to a mind. Information 
comes from a mind. There are no known exceptions. And yet Darwinian evolution demands immeasurable amounts of information. So much information that we and all of our intellectual attempts to understand it have just barely begun to scratch. Just, just scratch the surface. Information everywhere. Information overload. In a single-celled organism. We can't even yet fully comprehend the single-celled organisms, much less the more complex organisms and all the organisms within them. So where did you get your information? Everything that makes up your body requires genetic information. You've got hands and feet because your genes code for it. The same is true for any creature, dogs, camels, you name it. The genetic information in humans varies from the information in animals and plants and so on. It seems obvious, so why point it out? Because for animal kind A to somehow presto changeo into animal kind B, the information's got to change. A fish doesn't just morph into an amphibian without something changing in the genes. It would have to gain some new information. Hear me, there is change within kind according to God's design for survivability. It's a beautiful design. But there is not change from kind to kind, no matter how much time you plug in, and there is zero evidence of it. Zero evidence. Here's the clincher. When we use operational science, the kind involving observable, repeatable, testable results, that's science. Observable, repeatable, testable, that's science. Operational science. We have never observed, repeated, or been able to test animal kind A turning into animal kind B at all. Sure, there's some genetic uh, do-si-do going on through mutations and gene drift, but there's no way fish are going to sprout hair and opposable thumbs. Now, for the Darwinian evolutionist, fish became philosophers. For the Darwinian evolutionist, frogs became princes. They believe in fairy tales. Don't let them mock you for believing Genesis. Oh my, that an omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful God created everything ex nihilo from nothing? That's actually what the observable cosmos and life in it tells us. That's the best explanation. And there's only one historic account, right? And it's the Word of God. So continuing, sure, there's some genetic do do going on through mutations and gene drift, but there's no way fish are going to sprout hair and opposable thumbs. Just in case you think by no way, we mean there's still a chance. There's not. None, zilch, nada, not going to happen. What if we add billions of years and cool artistic renderings? Still no. I love it. Turn on the so-called science channels that are on the cable television networks and you get all this science fiction. When I was a kid, there was actually some good science in those things. But now it's all this science fiction. It's all Darwinian evolution, Big Bang cosmology all the time. They're all trying to justify the myth constantly. And they'll show you all these species. And if you watch it and you're not really thinking, maybe you're eating lunch and you're enjoying your chicken nuggets with your hot sauce and blue cheese on them, that takes chicken nuggets into a whole other realm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll try it. Men's retreat. It's going to happen. Um, anyway, anyway. So you're distracted by the goodness of your blue cheese and your hot sauce and your chicken nuggets. You're not really paying attention. And you say, wow, look at all these transitional species. But then you, you look closely, you tune in, start to begin to really listen. And these are all artist renderings. These are all fictions. One fiction after another, tied one after another together in order to make a nice bow around a great myth. And this culture, our current culture, 
has been inundated with this from birth. Whether they're watching Star Wars or Star Trek or watching these so-called science channels or whether they're in kindergarten, they've been inundated with this myth from birth. It's the prevailing myth. But myth it is. And so where did you get your information? There, not all theories are bad. The Darwinian theory is a bad theory. Science contradicts it. The theory of information is a solid theory. All information leads to a mind. No known exceptions. Information does not spontaneously combust. Look, boom, information and matter. We've got a pile of rocks one day, and the next day you come back and you have a castle. Information. Moat around it, alligators. And by the way, if, if you had a castle, that, that'd be a pretty complex amount of information in what was once a pile of rocks. But there are no castles that reproduce themselves or heal themselves. No. And then original recipe. So first, where'd you get the information? Secondly, original recipe. That first point is devastating enough, but here's how evolution gets buried even more. You've probably heard news accounts about how life could have started on Earth gazillions of years ago in volcanoes, slush pools, crystal rocks, you name it. Maybe you've heard something about artificial life or test tube life or rotten food in the refrigerator life. Okay, maybe not the last one. Those are interesting speculations, but they overlook one important rule in biology. Life doesn't, cannot, and will never come from non-life. Life comes from life always. That's a law, the law of biogenesis, to be exact. All these failed experiments, like the Miller-Urey experiment, really show us just how much intelligence is required for life to begin in the first place. In other words, you get intelligent scientists in a controlled environment with their beakers and their Bunsen burners and their tubings and their chemicals and their mathematic equations saying, look, we have almost produced a useful protein. It's not actually useful. It's wrong-handed, but it's almost a useful building block for life through extreme application of intellect and controlled environment we can support then the theory of the accidental production of life. No. What they have proven is that life requires intelligence and design and that we're not yet intelligent enough to produce life and I doubt God's going to let us get that far. That's what they've proven. So if evolution can't explain how humans came to be or any other living thing for that matter, what can? The Bible, yes, God's Word. The Bible provides an eyewitness account of how the universe and all life came to be. There's no speculation or strange interpretation needed. You can just read how God created everything in six days a few thousand years ago. Simple, factual. Pick it up, dust it off if you need, and read from it. And all of God's saints said, Amen. Let's close with this thought, Genesis 2, verse 4. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Thus saith the Lord. And there we stand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word, beholding the glory of our Creator God from Genesis through Isaiah. We ask, Father, that you bless this truth to our mind, that we build truth upon truth, and that, Father, we believe Jesus Christ, thy word is truth. And that his prayer, that he prayed unto you, the Father, that we would be sanctified by your truth, would come to pass. Lord, may your word 
renew our minds, and may we be more committed than ever to believing your word from the very first verse, for it, Lord, is true, and it is the very best explanation of all that we see in your cosmos. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.